given our current trajectory. Mm-hmm. How okay. are we going to remove those barriers or how are we going to handle the taxes when that time comes in two, three, five, ten, twenty years? Becoming a millionaire isn't just about growing your money. It's also about protecting and preserving your wealth by using the right financial strategies for your situation. Welcome. This is Middle Class Millionaire with John Choi. John has his Master's of Science in Financial Services and is a certified financial planner and the president of Epiphany Capital. Welcome into another edition of the podcast. It's Middle Class Millionaire with John Choi and myself here to talk about breaking up and it's hard to do. So really that navigating uh, that transition from your current advisor potentially to a new one. So on today's episode, we're going to explore some of the sensitive and significant processes of that transition uh, that could be tough for folks to maybe how to recognize it or how to even walk through that or whatever the case might be, finding the right person for you. So that's on the topic, uh, that's on the docket, I should say, today uh, on Middle Class Millionaire with John. So John, welcome in, buddy. How are you? Good. How are you, Mark? Doing pretty good. I was just wondering to myself, I was like, breaking up is hard to do. Who sang that? I think it was Neil Sedaka, but I'm not 100%. Do you happen to we'll know? We'll get to the bottom of it. We'll get to the bottom of it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. How's things going? Uh, good. Yeah. Summer's winding down. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And vacation season's winding down and school's starting up. So yeah, I, I think the normal flow of life is creeping back in. Okay. And it was Neil Sedaka, by the way. I just checked. Uh, the power of Google. It's like as soon as I said that phrase, I heard the song in my head, so I had to figure it out. Uh, but let's jump into it. Let's talk about it a little bit here. A couple of things we want to identif- uh, identify and understand, right? First, let's just understand the reason we might even be thinking we need to change advisors, right? What are some common things that you've seen or that you might want to, you know to share with folks when it comes to you know why they're even feeling that way to begin with? You know, I think the thing that drives the question, you know basically sets the ball in motion, if you will, is investment returns. And unfortunately, that's just a fact because investment returns are really out of everyone and anyone's control. Now you can somewhat, you know, temper those ups and downs with proper asset allocation and things of that nature. But if the market's down 20, 30%, your portfolio is probably going to take a hit as well. Unless of course, you're sitting in cash, all in cash, and you probably shouldn't be. Right. So I think that's what gets the ball rolling. But again, I, I don't think that that should be the determining factor. No, yeah, I would whether, agree. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you should move your account or not. Like so. the performance of a particular portfolio, there's a lot of factors that go in there, right? Absolutely. And so I would think that that kind of gets the mind thinking. And then the other questions, which are the more important ones, come in. And if, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that if they are, uh, the big one is non-responsiveness. And the clients tell me, I feel like I'm in a, uh, I'm a small fish in a big pond. Sure. Uh, he's, yeah. he's too, I'm, I'm too small of a client for this. I, I don't get noticed because my account's not big enough or something. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. And if you're feeling that, it's probably true. Well, you know, and I think on that point, John, I think some of that falls back to us a little bit when we're looking for the initial, whomever it is, right? If you feel like you want some more close-knit, hands-on kind of thing, should you be looking at a bigger firm 
Um, or should you be looking at more of a boutique firm, like, you know, kind of like yourself, right? Looking more for that uh, person who's not taking a ton of clients because they do want that hands-on approach. So I think some of that still goes into the vetting process for ourselves you know, when we're shopping around. Yeah, of course. And some people are drawn to brand names. Of course. And, absolutely. And we can't do anything about it. Some people like to go with uh, a bank, for example, because they feel like that their money is safer, which is, it's that's just a myth. It's not any safer or less safe or more safe. Right, right. So that's that's that. You know, the responsiveness is probably the biggest one besides the performance. But the other one is uh, value or absence of value. And they say, look, uh, I'm paying 1% on, on my two, three, four, five million dollar portfolio. What am I getting for it? And we've talked about this before. Most of the folks that do that kind of billing structure or mm-hmm. that fee structure, they're only looking at the investment portion of your financial planning high. You're, they they mm, only got okay. one sixth of it done. Now they may be very good at it, right? But you know, you you got five other pieces of the pie that you've got to you got to handle for success. Yeah, we've been rocking this pie thing, man, for a couple of episodes now. I dig it, right? The trivial pursuit pie. I think it's a great way of thinking about it. Yeah, I, I mean, and it's I, I like it because it works within the six core pieces, right? So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I just kind of came up with my own one day thinking about how do I explain it to a client? No, I think and it was So great. they're only getting, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think it was great. It's a great analogy. Go for it. Yeah, and I, again, you're, if you're only getting one-sixth of what you should be getting for the same amount of money mm-hmm. that, that you pay, then I think that there is an absence of value there. I, I can't put a, a a hard number on what investment planning should be, right? but it's going to be less than 1%, maybe half a percent mm, okay. or something like that. It's like you own an amusement park and I own an amusement park. Mm-hmm. And we have the same rides, right? And the ticket is the same. But in your amusement park, you only get to ride one ride because the other five are closed. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're yeah, they're yeah. down for maintenance or they're permanently closed for whatever reason. I mean, you know, where's the value if we're charging the same? You, you should probably have access to all six of the, the rides. And right. that's basically what it is. I like that. So. Yeah. Okay. So if investors are thinking about consequences uh, or, or excuse me, thinking about switching, are there some consequences to consider from, you know, I don't know, an account standpoint or anything like that we, we should be aware of? So the biggest consequence that they might have is is taxes. So uh, it might and it might be taxes. But most of the time when we do a transfer, it's it's an in-kind transfer. So they take the shares that you have of Apple. Let's say you bought it at 50 bucks, it's worth 300. You don't want to sell it and recognize the capital gains or you you just want to hold it because you like the stock. We just take the stock and transfer the stock. There is no selling of it and because there is no selling of it, there's no taxes. Mm, okay. So, and then obviously, if it's in an IRA, it would just be uh, a direct transfer, and that would just go from your old company to the new company that we would use, or you know, another person would use. And again, tax neutral event, nothing, nothing happens there. So, gotcha. taxes is the big old, biggest thing. Legal, I can't really think of any legal consequences. So okay, yeah, and uh, and so a lot of times people are using the same custodians as well. So it's just some paperwork, more than likely. Oh, if you're using the same custodian, let's say you're both using Schwab, mm-hmm. it's just it's just one signature, letter of intent, and it's done. Okay, 
All right. They just switch the advisor on the uh, on their computer system. That's it. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. So easy. All right. So before deciding, you should also evaluate your current advisor, right? So you're thinking about leaving. We talked a little bit about that. But what are the metrics or indicators that someone can use for that other than, oh, I feel like my account's not doing as well as it should be, right? Because there could be a myriad of factors there. You know, we kind of talked about, you know, are you getting some of the other pieces? But is there any like, clear red flags maybe that's it's time to to go i for me i feel like the you really hit that biggest one already in the in the other pieces because we sometimes we'll see so many emails or conversations or something where somebody's like yeah they only talk to me about like growing my money but i'm like i'm worried about social security for example and we never talk about that i think the other thing before we get into red flags is um and it might be a red flag it's lack of or proactiveness right so i would want someone to be proactive and and look forward for me, especially in the tax realm. Mm -hmm. And I want them to say, hey, this is the path that you're on. And as we're walking down this path, these are the decisions in that path or the stumbling blocks in that path, given our current trajectory. Mm -hmm. How are we going to remove those barriers or how are we going to handle the taxes when that time comes in? two, three, five, 10, 20 years. So being proactive and setting up for the future, I think is is extremely important. And I think you need to have the same sort of, I don't know, what do you think about philosophy? Should the advisor you're, you're thinking about, you're, that you're working with, uh, still share the same philosophy with you? Or if they've differ- differentiated because maybe you've changed, your needs have changed, uh, do you think that's kind of an indicator of, of time to look for something else? So personally, I mean, there's there's two investment philosophies, right? There's uh, a philosophy of active management and there's the passive management. Okay. I'm a passive guy. I come from an academic background and I have seen zero evidence that active investing works. Just expensive. Having said that, I will not take on a client that says, I believe I can beat the market or I believe you can beat the market. Hmm. It just, it's just not going to happen. So it's just, I won't do it. And and that's where I draw the line in the sand, if you will. Gotcha. Okay. So okay. So we we've decided to move. We're we're shopping around. We're going to go talk to some people for a potential new advisor. Questions to ask. What are some things that uh, should probably be top of the list for the new advisor you're talking? Yes. Yes. For when you sit down yeah. to meet with the new person for the first time, some things that mm-hmm. the potential client should be asking the new uh, possible new new advisor. Um, I think that's somewhat of a tricky question in that. They don't know what they don't know, so they don't know what to ask. Well, let's so see if what, we can give them some suggestions, right? Yeah, yeah. So for the new advisors, um, obviously, I'd be like, what kind of service uh, services do you offer? Do you offer just the investment piece of it, or are you doing all six pieces of the pie? Okay. That would be number one. Mm-hmm. Are you a fiduciary? Most of them will say, yeah, I'm a fiduciary. Are you independent? I think that's very important. Okay. Well, real quick, let's break those two down. So for the folks who might not know or haven't heard heard us talk about it before, the difference between a fiduciary and suitability is? Best interest versus I need to do, I need to put your interest first, mm-hmm. right? Versus I can sell you anything as long as you're suitable to as long as your risk tolerance is suitable for it. Yeah. So if you if if someone is suitable only, suitability only, and they have three options before them, they don't nec- they could pick they could honestly pick one of those three as long as they're all three suitable uh, because right. maybe option 3 gives them a better 
you know, maybe a bonus, maybe that comes with an extra bonus for the advisor, right? So are they truly picking the best one for you? Or is it just, hey, these three things work technically, but I get a little something extra out of this one. So I'm going to go with that, right? Versus a fiduciary, which is like legally, ethically, morally, everything has got to be above board, right? I have to do the best thing for my advisor, which to me is a funny thing that we have to have this in certain industries. It seems like every industry should have to have this. I have to do the very best for my client, period, right? No matter what, you know, if it's a mechanic, like I don't want my mechanic to go, hey, I fixed the tire. It's suitable. It should work. (laughs) You know, I want to know that the thing's going to hang on when I'm doing it 70 miles an hour down the interstate, right? Right, right, right. And, and here's the funny thing is that the one that gives the spiff or the bonus, that's not always the worst choice. Sometimes it's the best choice for the client. But as long as the client knows, hey, this right. is what I get yes. paid. Yeah. You know, this is a bonus. Uh, and I'm, I will get a bonus out of this. But here's how why I think it's better for you than choice A or B. But, you know, feel free to choose. Yeah, exactly. It's like offering a menu. Exactly. Right? Yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, and, and that's all about communication, right? It comes back to that. So, you know, communication, that's another maybe a big question to ask. How do you communicate? Like, what is what is the expectation level to set? I think that's good for both sides of the party because that way maybe you've left your, your current advisor, John, because you feel like they don't get back to you enough, right? You talked earlier about being, you know, a small fish, right? You know, kind of thing. So set right. that expectation with the new one. How, you know, when are we going to talk? Is it quarterly? Is it? you know, that, you know, whatever the thing might be. Yeah. That, that should be in the initial client agreement and, and you should come to a, a mutual agreement Yeah, of, of how often these reviews will be. So that's, that's important. How important is location? Like in today's world, you know, unless you're the kind of person that needs to physically meet and shake hands, is location around the corner, you know, like, you know, you're not Googling advisors within five miles of me kind of thing? In today's day and age, I don't think it's very important. Everything is moved electronically. Everything is done over the computer. Um, no one pops into the office anymore. People not make much. an appointment. Yeah. And, and with Zoom, it's 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 like you're almost there. It's It's much better than a phone conversation, I think. Mm -hmm. But with Zoom and the technologies that are available to us today, I don't think location is very important. Yeah. I mean, I think some people are still old school in the way that, hey, I want to look someone in the eye and shake their hand. And that's fine. Make sure if that's who you are, right, that's got to be a factor for you. you Right. Right. And the other uh, questions that I would ask the new advisor is, you know, what credentials or Mm -hmm. degrees or qualifications do you have? Uh, And I, I think that's very important because, truth be told, anyone can pass a, a little, you know, two-hour exam and call themselves a financial advisor. Yeah, I mean, just for insurance only, it's not that difficult of a uh, of a test to pass. It's not a very high bar, right? Um, and so there's the, of course, the uh, certified financial planner designation, the CFP designation, which. You know, if you'll ask most people in our industry, that really is the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the highest bar because I've looked at and and hold numerous designations, and that is the highest designation that you can get, in my opinion, for as a as a financial as a financial planner. There's other degrees, but that's not a degree. You know, the, yeah. the CFP is a designation. So Okay. So let's, uh, before we wrap up this week, let's kind of hit some of the, the harder part here. So you've, okay, you've done some shopping now, right? You've asked some questions. You've, uh, you know, maybe you've met with one or two different advisors. You think you found the right fit. You're ready to make a move. 
how does that conversation go for the old advisor? Like as the as the client here, some people are very well. They're they're a little uh, standoffish with confrontation, right? They maybe wanted to make this as uh, painless on them as possible. So is that something just through email communication, or you know, what's a, a way to maybe suggest handling that? Because as an advisor yourself, right, clients are going to change people from time to time. It happens, right? Everyone gains clients and loses clients. I think most advisors don't take that personally at all, but there are times when people say, well, I've been working this with person for this person for 20 years. I feel really bad that I need to move on to somebody else, but they're just not, you know, they're not working with me on my retirement strategy. They were more about my growth strategy and it's time to go. And they don't know how to handle that transition. You know, that transition would be a lot easier if they've kind of given them warnings before mm-hmm. to say, hey, look, you're not being responsive enough. I mean, you can say it directly like that, or sure. you, can, you know, you you can uh, soften that blow a little bit, or you can say, "Hey, look, I, I really need this and that. Do you provide that?" Right. And and that's kind of like a, the the pre transition conversation, right? Yeah, and if true. your current advisor can do it, or if they kind of say, "Oh, oh my gosh, this is what they need," or they need to be more responsive, or they need more services, or whatever, and they can do it. I'd say stick with your current advisor. If they can, why why move? Why go through the hassle of moving, right? Mm -hmm. But if you've given them several emails and phone calls and they still haven't really uh, is up to snuff, then that transition conversation is very easy. You say, hey, look, you know, last year we talked about this. We never got it done. Uh, Six months ago, we talked about doing an annual review. You never met with me. Right, And you lay out your case and they say, well, yeah, I guess I dropped the ball. And for those reasons, I am going to go to a different advisor. What can the old advisor say? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's, and then again, some, a lot of times it's some simple paperwork uh, that just gets done. And usually your new advisor will handle most of that for you, correct? They're going to help. They're going to give you the forms for that you need to sign, obviously, to get things, accounts transferred and all that stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So on that transition, your new advisor is going to uh, prepare all the paperwork. The only thing that he can't do is sign it, obviously. Right. But uh, in this day and age, it is so easy, especially if you're tech forward. Like I've got a you know custodian that that you can just you know digitally sign everything and move move the assets very very easily. Yeah. So okay, all right. So I mean, I think the key takeaway from from this is if you're just not getting what you feel you should be getting in levels of service, first do you do your current advisor a favor, talk to them about it. Right? They may not be aware. You may have had a communication breakdown, and they they think you guys are on the same you know page, and you're not. So you know during those annual reviews, that's when you bring these things up. That's some of the the value of doing that is so you can share what's going on with you or how life has changed and how your needs might have changed. Uh, and to John's point, if if they're not able to do so, or you've given them you know numerous chances to do that, then it's fine. It's time to you know to look around, shop around, and look for a new advisor, and go try to find one that does have the right credentials, the right fit, and the right temperament and mindset that you're looking for so that you can have that good relation relationship and establish what it is that you're looking for right there in those early meetings to get to, onto the same page. Good stuff this week. Thanks, John. I always appreciate it. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> great great, great yeah. conclusion. There you go. I mean, that's what we try to do. We try to share some ideas for folks to think about. So if you're, again, thinking about switching advisors, 
these are some things to uh, run through. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Google or Spotify, whatever platform it happens to be that you like using. You can find it all at johnchoy.net. A lot of good tools, tips, and resources. Schedule some time with John. Uh, he is the president at Epiphany Capital and a certified financial planner. So again, find him online at johnchoy.net. That's johnchoy.net. We'll see you next time here on Middle Class Millionaire. Take care, folks. Epiphany Capital is a registered investment advisor, RIA, located in the state of Illinois. Epiphany Capital provides investment advisory and related services for clients nationally. Epiphany Capital will maintain all applicable registration and licenses as required by various states in which Epiphany Capital conducts business, as applicable. Epiphany Capital renders individualized responses to persons in a particular state only after complying with all regulatory requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption or exclusion.